Welcome to the Stargate Archives, buried deep within Cheyenne Mountain. Greetings everybody and welcome to the latest episode from the Stargate Archives. This week we are going to be looking at the Season 1 episode of Stargate SG-1, Tin Man, with our guest Ian. How are you mate? Come try ya! Well done. (laughs) (laughs) I was wondering. It's better, yes? This episode has a lot to answer for. It does. Including the the little jingle in between the uh, Gatecast episodes many times. Yes, it's perfect, isn't it? It is perfect. (laughs) I actually pulled the uh, transcript and did a search on Comtrya. Actually, I've only spoken ten times, and only seven times by Harlan. No way. I know, I was amazed, and... It must be thirty, at least. I even searched for better. Oh, better said a lot. That's mentioned twenty-two times, but only eleven in proper <laughs> context. Seems wow. like every other every other sentence was better or Comtrya. Yeah. You are better, yes? You're better. <laughs> Excellent. Okay then, folks, we're currently going through Season 1 of Stargate SG-1. This was mainly uh, to make up for some of the lower quality Season 1 Gatecast episodes. Coming to the end of Season 1, and then we are going to do pretty much potluck. Whatever guest we have on the show is going to be able to pick any episode they want to talk about. Hopefully that will encourage more people to uh, get in touch or let me browbeat them into coming on the show to talk about their favourite episodes <laughs> of Stargate. Let's be honest, not everybody wants to talk about the first season of Stargate SG-1. Yeah, even though they're the episodes that everyone has seen a million times. Yes. There are some cracking episodes in there, but yeah, there are some very good episodes later. It seems that more people are unfamiliar with, say, season 9 and 10 of Stargate SG-1 than season 1. Mm-hmm. A lot of people stopped watching after Richard Dean Anderson left the show. <laughs> well, full-time uh, left the show. He is definitely missed. When you rewatch, you realise all the other characters are amazing, and yeah. They grew on me. Even Jonas grew on me <laughs> when he replaced Daniel for that little bit. But it is nice to see the the whole band back together and when you're rewatching season one. And there's a lot of love for Jonas if you if you look on Twitter. A lot of fans of Corinemic. Aye. Shudder to think the uh, kind of fiction that's around for, for Jonas. <laughs> there's probably a lot of fan fiction out there. He was a good character. Yeah, kinda of got short change, but that's television for you. Yeah. Unfortunately, he was never going to stand a chance when Daniel wanted to come back. No. Right then. Tin Man was written by Jeffrey F. King, one of his three episodes of SG-1. He also wrote Cold Lazarus and Bloodlines. And this episode was directed by Jimmy Kaufman, his uh, only episode of SG-1. First season, there were, you know, juggling different writers, different directors before things settled down as the seasons progressed. I realised re-watching this episode that especially Series 1 of Stargate SG-1 is very much an every episode is a, a different science fiction story like Outer Limits or Twilight Zone is, but with the Stargate narrative behind it. There's, yeah, I can imagine that writers were brought in and had an idea for a science fiction story and it was kind of shoehorned into the Stargate franchise. Bits and pieces, like Tin Man doesn't really have anything to do with the Stargate other than the fact that that's how they get to the planet. I say, when you think about, like you say, any show... Star Trek, how many times was the Enterprise just there to get somebody from A to B? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's it. You you realise that they're, they're following the same formula as the Outer Limits and the Twilight Zone from, from way back when. It's just that they've got a constant narrative at the same time. Yeah, it's funny, though. When when you have an episode where there isn't any gate travel, you miss it. 
Yes, definitely. And and fans complain. The show's called Stargate. Yeah, that's it. And the gate, just like on Battlestar or uh, Red Dwarf or, or Star Trek, the, the gate and the ships are uh, characters under themselves. They went two or three seasons without ever seeing the Red Dwarf. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Anyhow, let's get into Tin Man. The episode opens up in a very colourful complex. It looks like an underground complex. It looks remarkably familiar. There's been many TV shows filmed at this former power station and dam. You can see the uh, the turbines creatively hidden by various set dressings. It's very green. Yes, mm. and blue and red and yellow and yeah. disco ball. Camera pans up, we see uh, what definitely is a very very CGI Stargate. <laughs> yeah. We do get the appearance of the team coming through the wormhole, which was quite a nice little effect. I shot backwards. Yeah, it's, it's a bit unusual. It kind of worked. There's silhouettes through it. Probably a very good money-saving idea as well, because you didn't have to do too much CGI work to see the people within the event horizon. It kind of cut as soon as, the, as it collapsed. Yeah, that was nice. I was going to say, then we see a, um, what looks like a sun contained within a some sort of metal sphere that's just spinning above everything hanging from the ceiling. Yeah, I think they should it's have thrown a bit more light coming from that, kind of make it more of the focal point. Yeah, certainly catch Jack's eye. Oh yeah, Jack seems to be having the time of his life anyway. Yeah. They mentioned that some of the technology seems quite advanced, but the complex itself looks very run down. Of course, that all makes sense as the uh, episode goes along. We do see a lot of pipes and dials and things that, well, original fittings of this dam when it was built. And then they make their way to a uh, <laughs> to a computer, and there's, there is a very badly hidden CRT. Oh, look, we'll, we'll put these sticky checkerboard patterns on it. Nobody will notice. I know, it was so funny. Look, an alien computer that looks exactly like the computers in the SGC. Yes, some gets on it straight away. She'd probably be playing solitaire within minutes. She might. Again, um, very heavy use of lighting effects. I probably can understand if they lit this as normal daylight, it would look to Earth-based technology. All the shadows, all, all the various colours gives it that very alien feel. That's true. It reminds me of Fire and Water, actually, the way they've lit this. You know, yes. lots of blue light and things shining into areas to give it a completely different texture almost. Also, a very cheap way to make a normal-looking set look a bit different. Yeah. Although the cinematographer might might have approved of it, but the murder actually filming in it, I imagine, getting the lighting levels right so you can get the <laughs> decent view of uh, the actors and whatnot. Yeah, without them looking completely blue. Later seasons, of course, most of the actors would be carrying flashlights or torches. That would be used for lighting as well. Beautiful the way they did that. Yeah, when they sorted that out so they could do it well, it brilliant. Yeah, lighting entire scenes just like just from actors carrying things or flaming torches or... And being able to actually see what you were looking at, not just a sort of patchy bit of film. Ah, yeah. You get the, the night effect, so you've got areas of the screen which are pitch black, but you're not losing the detail where it's important. Hats off to the uh, to the cinematographers there, DPs. Right, then we get some sort of ominous sound effect building in the background. <laughs> then it looks like they've been disintegrated yeah. until they collapse. Remind me, actually, of uh, Captain Scarlet and Mr. On light beams travelling across the bodies. <laughs> yeah, that goes... It does look like that, way. actually. It'll probably go over the heads of 99.9% of the people who, who might even listen to the show. <laughs> Captain Scarlet, look it up, folks. Bought them on Blu-ray. Wow. Has it been remastered? Yeah. Only got the first two volumes. I think I've got the third volume on pre-order. Mm-hmm. Only a tenner each. Yeah, I'm not going to say no to that. No, that's pretty good for a Blu-ray of Captain Scarlet. Right, we jump to the theme music and we come back. 
and, well, things have changed. They're taking a nap. Well, the clothes as well. Something very weird has has gone on. Mm-hmm. The question that certainly uh, Samantha is going to be <laughs> a bit curious about. You never really want to wake up in, in clothes that you didn't go to bed in. No, that is true. That's almost worse than waking up in no clothes. <laughs> yes, we get, it looks like some sort of a cheap version of the cryopods in Alien. <laughs> yeah, with Bishop. Yeah, they're wearing their snazzy black outfits, white piping, rather different to the normal SG camo stuff they, they were wearing beforehand. Sam and Jack are the first to wake up. Yeah, arranged all around a big sort of central core that looks like looks like it could stand in for a Borg infrastructure. Yes, if the, if the Borg liked to rest lying down, this is what you'd have. Yeah. Of course, that's not efficient, is it? <laughs> no, what a waste of space. Getting up and getting down, yeah, just stand there and plug in. Plus, uh, we find out that they don't have anything with them. All their equipment's gone. Yep, it's always worrying in a Starfire series because they're very reliant on their weapons. And Fortunately, you know, we don't have any tricorders or anything like that. Okay. Tilk and Daniel, uh, they're still at until Tilk bolts up. He sat up like, in like he was spring-loaded. Yeah, like a vampire in a vampire movie. <laughs> or, uh, yeah, Michael in Halloween. Oh, yeah. Always ominous. It looks better when it's slow, though. You get that build-up as the uh, torso rises with no apparent effort to counterbalance it. While they... <laughs> Rather than just the spring. But obviously, Chris Jarge has got epic muscles, so he, he can't do it slowly. It's just sort of instinctive. <laughs> stoic or full, Yeah, I'm full smiling or stoic. <laughs> <laughs> the eyebrow is raised or lowered. Can't have it in between. <laughs> and then Daniel wakes up, and we find he's not got any glasses on. Yeah, that's a bit weird. Yeah. He's still got the flowing hair, though. You really notice it in this episode. I don't know why. Probably because he's never wearing his helmet or a cap or anything. But uh, flowing wavy locks are free to boggle the mind. As someone with long hair, I'm quite jealous of how thick and uh, <laughs> how thick and excellent his hair looks. <laughs> Damn you, Michael. As Shanks. someone who used to have hair, I'm envious. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, I think all that washing and combing. All I've got to do uh, now is... Conditioning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so much easier. Just spray, towel. There you go. Oh, I remember those days. <laughs> right, this is where we have a visitor. Shadowy figure with the light bouncing off his head. Yes. Actually, standing in the shadow of that door looks very similar to a certain replicator we see later in Atlantis. Oh, Oberon. Yeah. He does, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. You haven't really got... Any scale at the moment, so it could be, you know, five foot, six foot, something, you know, in between. But, of course, uh, as he comes out of the shadows, if you haven't seen the show before, you probably won't recognise the actor. If you have, then Jay Brazar, he's been in all sorts of stuff. I didn't know what else he was in. I've seen him in lots of stuff. He he does a lot of stuff for Hallmark at the moment. He's a regular in one of the mystery TV movie series as a pathologist. As you know, in American TV these days, the medical examiner or a crime scene investigator has got to have a quirk. And there you go. <laughs> yeah. And we get the first pump dryer. Pump dryer! He is so happy to see these people. He is. He is positively bobbly. Yes. You almost imagine, given the opportunity, he'd be hugging and kissing. and uh... So much so that the, the subtitles read, speaking foreign language, followed by giggling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Jack is a little bit more cynical. He, you know, does his come by our reference. <laughs> they try Probably to uh, shake oh, yeah. hands. Daniel's straight in there trying to understand what's happening. And, and our new man, Harlan, 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 Harlan. Harlan, yeah. Harlan looks very confused. Especially with Sam, you're different. 
your females. Yes. Which is said in a creepy way, even though he means nothing by it. It does seem weird because he does say later in the episode about how there were other people there and it shouldn't seem that odd. I mean, he calls them wonderful specimens. Yes, because that doesn't sound creepy. Of course, as, as we come to learn, these are imprints of what used to be real people. And he has been there a while, so perhaps, you know, yes. oh, I remember female. Oh, 11,000 yeah. years. He's gone space crazy. <laughs> Could be, yeah. He's the Holly of Stargate. Interesting choice of design, though. Why vertical or horizontal, you know, piping on the shirts supposed to signify anything? I think they'd all be the same, or they'd look more like Holland. Yeah, that's a good point. And also, yeah, I never actually noticed the first time around that they were all different. I didn't really spot that, but yeah, each one has a unique pattern. Been worse. They could have had name tags as well. <laughs> Danny. <laughs> Then they go off for a, a walk around the complex. We get some nice camera angles showing the scaffolding, the rafters, the lighting, hiding the fact that this is a, probably a very run-down facility. Mm -hmm. And he points out that they're in Section 3, and it seems quite large. That seems to uh, indicate that uh, whatever else there is, there's an awful lot more to see. Yes, this complex is probably the size of a city. Yeah, and we find out that on the surface there is some very bad radiation and you can't go outside. You know, the last remnants of Holland's race created this. A man named Wallace, he mentions, was the brains behind the operation. Unfortunately, he passed. No, sorry. Wallace was the last one to go. It was Hubble who was the creator. <laughs> Hubble. We assume that's maybe some reference to uh, the... What, what was he? Uh, astronomer, isn't he? Hubble was. I'm not sure. I don't know where it gets its name. The telescope was obviously named after the scientist, but I'm not sure what the scientist's role was. I've always assumed that his scientist was an astronomer. That's why the telescope got named after him. It would make sense. It would. Someone at NASA was really into astrology and got a bit confused. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. So they continue with the guided tour. Harlan is kind of laying down the selling point. If everybody feels better. Yeah, they've got the weapons back, haven't they now? Because Tilk's walking around with his staff weapon. Sam's hugging her M16, is it, they've got at the moment? Uh, MP5s, I think, at the moment. MP5s, that's it. Almost like a security blanket or something. Well, not really surprising when she when he keeps saying things like, you will remind me of everybody, except you, you're female. Yes, thanks, thanks for reminding me again. Yeah. Except for you, you're different. <laughs> Poor Tilk. Although, once you've seen the episode, now you watch it back, you think, there is something wrong with Tilt right from the get-go. Yeah. He is not playing along. The look on his face is like nothing we've seen since perhaps the first couple of episodes. No, he seems quite unamused and he doesn't seem curious about what's happening like the others do or anything. He's not better. <laughs> no. Nothing Holland says will convince him of anything like this. This is where we get the great, I wrote this down, how long have you been here? 99,207,000 hours. <laughs> and Jack takes a breath and goes, 11,000 years. And everybody seems surprised, even Jack. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Poor Jack. And then he looks as if to say, "What? why could I not know that? And then asks if he's right. I was disappointed. I would have thought Sam would be able to do this cal calculation in her head without the need of the knowledge that's been implanted in him. Probably, but it might take a little longer. I mean, you don't have the number of hours written down either. Yeah, but Sam... Yeah, that is true. You blow up a sun, come on. Honestly, you blow up one sun and people expect you to calculate maths in your head easily. Yep, Jack's pretty much had enough of this. We have the exchange of, you're much better. Jack says, how? Just better. How? Right, we're at, we're going. And they uh, go to the HD. Why did he order Sam to dial home? 
Jack forget the address? Is it beneath him? It seems strange. That's a good question. Especially given his attitude. Well, yeah, you'd think he'd go straight there and start pressing the button straight away. Come on, we're yeah. going. You know, because Daniel would stay just to talk to Harlan. Sam would want to have a look around and see what she could find. Till could just stand in the corner looking stoic. <laughs> <laughs> Harlan is very, very agitated at the idea that they're leaving. Yes, he's very upset. This hasn't gone according to whatever plan he devised. And as they step through the Stargate, off camera, he says, uh, well, they'll be back. <laughs> he's probably going to be right. Yep. Otherwise, it would be a very short episode. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Ron, we go to the SGC in the infirmary. Janet's there doing some uh, routine little physicals. This is the point where, again, we've said it quite often, they take a lot for granted when people come through the Stargate. Yes. Direct access to the base. These were up to no good. They've already gone through the gate room, made it to the infirmary, easy access weaponry if they needed them. Little to no guards around. No, I mean, if they wanted, they could take over this place very, very easily. Maybe that's why Janet freaks so much, because she's very out of character here. Can't hear your heartbeat, so, E.R., you have a listen. Yeah, <laughs> I know. At no point does she consider that she should check the other three. Yeah. Or question why they came back in weird clothes, or... That's and... probably the best point. What are you wearing? Yeah. You haven't been gone that long, and you've got a change of clothes. What's going on? Uh, I'm not sure. Okay. This is either too little, too late, or overkill. Yeah. As soon as Janet couldn't hear her heartbeat, she should have been ringing the alarm. Yeah, exactly. Now, there's a scene here where she tries to take blood out of Jack's arm. Yeah. And it was really disturbing, because I'm not 100% sure how these things work, but I'm pretty certain that if you've got a needle in someone's arm and a syringe attached to it, you shouldn't push air in, right? I mean, is there some sort of valve system on that that allows it to... I've always assumed that something like that, it's got to be something to do with a vacuum, hasn't it? You can kind of break a seal and that sucks the blood in. Oh, possibly. Oh, yeah, because it does. You're right. You're, as she pushes it in, it it fills up behind, not yeah. doesn't draw it back out. Because as you say, pumping air into people's veins is not, not really a good idea. Yeah, that's what I saw the first time when I watched this. I was like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> that was a fairly obvious misstep. That's it. She probably says, if it doesn't kill you, you're an alien. If it kills you, you're human. <laughs> and if you float and weigh the same as a duck... <laughs> Yeah, so we get a very nice effect when Jack grabs the scalpel. Yeah, he goes all Terminator on us. Yeah, starts slicing his arm. That looked very good. It did. I was quite impressed. A nice little use of a close-up camera angle there, to, uh, and then a pulling of the arm away. But um, yeah, little valves and things moving around inside. I was a little bit disappointed with that. I would have thought Harlan and his ilk were far more advanced creations than that. Well, given the fact that they look exactly human on the outside, and then there's just like a couple of pistons moving back and forth, and none of the weird liquid that we saw drawn out from the syringe the first time. And making a lot of noise as well. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I assume that the uh, really thick sort of skin-like material is a very good sound insulator. Yeah, very similar to Luke's hand when he got it chopped off. Yes, yes. They've got all this technology, and he's he's got cables and wires. Yeah. Yeah, okay. (laughs) But once the skin's all covered up, you'd never know there was a machine there. Have you seen Westworld? No, no, it's on my list. Right. No spoilers. I am forward to watching that. But the first generation robots, there were robots. You opened, took the skin off, you could see there were robots. Yeah. The latest generation, you cut them open. You know they're not human, but they are that advanced and that more like 3D printed than anything else. Wow. You know they're not human, but virtually indistinguishable. And that's the technology Harlan should have been. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think it was probably a, uh, we need to show something, but we have no budget. <laughs> yeah, so that's probably it, unfortunately. Yeah. Anyhow, the security goes off, some guards come in. Hammond, fortunately, was available at this point because he made it to the infirmary rather quickly. I'm not sure if there are a major security situation that the general of the base should be rushing into the com- possible combat zone. <laughs> With only one airman beside him. You know, he is in charge. He should be safely in a little bunker and asking for reports. Yeah, especially when Jack, who has just been proven isn't actually Jack, gets right in his face. Yeah, and uh, he knows knows the general's wife, knows the general's grandkids. Again, perfectly understandable. If our Jack has been captured, he could have been interrogated, he could have been, his brain could have been scanned. Proves nothing. The very fact is that you're not human. If you are Jack O'Neill, you would obey my orders. Yeah. And Jack ultimately does, but obviously after some convincing... Understandable from Jack's point of view, given he's just sliced his own hand open to find he's a robot. Pretty much hard to convince people that you're you when you look and think, that's not me. Yeah. Let me get a scene of Hammond and Fraser standing watching a computer monitor, seeing the uh, security footage of them, the four of them walking around in a cell and uh, agreeing that it's probably too dangerous to keep them on the base and that there's no way they can be SG-1. I'm sure Mayborn would take them off their hands. Oh, yes. <laughs> I don't know much about Mayborn at this point, but I think he'd like him. <laughs> <laughs> you can trust Mayborn. <laughs> Good old Mayborn. No worries. So the four of them are in a little holding cell, you know, obviously comfortable. If you thought they were in serious danger, you'd separate them for a start, wouldn't you? Yeah. Granted, you're observing them, so maybe you're looking to see if they'd, you know, let something slip. But it seems a rather convoluted plot if this was done by a system lord. Well, we know from a later episode that... Wait, is it a later episode? I'm sure it is. That when they have a similar situation in which their actual bodies are taken over by another presence, they do get isolated and start syncing up their Row, Row, Row Your Boat song. <laughs> so maybe the SGC learned from that. Maybe, yeah. I do point out that Harlan was right. They do feel better, a lot more healthy. Tilk even says that he feels his symbiote. Yeah. And Daniel gets, ooh, ooh, wow, that's interesting. I wonder if that's yeah. like when you lose a limb and you can feel it still. <laughs> he gets an evil look from Jack. <laughs> yeah, Jack at this point is very much being a realist. He knows what's coming next. The others haven't quite cottoned on to the fact that at this point they are specimens. They'll be released into the wild. They will never be allowed to go on missions at SG-1. They are going to be lab lab experiments. You know, I guess Jack loses his temper a bit. Because I think he... Uh, well, he's Jack, isn't he? That's, that's the point. We get a lot of for crying out loud in this episode. Still in the holding cell. The general's saying we're going to send SG-5 to investigate. Oh, bad idea. Holland, what he did to us, uh, is going to do to them. Holland? Yeah, 11,000-year-old 11, 11, dude. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. We hadn't had time to give you our report, have we, General? No. Might be a good idea to debrief him, even if you think they're a bit dodgy. Yeah, it is weird they've not been questioned yet. Yeah, you'd think that would be pretty high on the list. At least hear Jack out. And uh, this is where they point out to Hammond that they're pretty sure their consciousness have been transferred into artificial bodies, implying that they're uh, they're not spies or anything like that. Apparently just improved versions of themselves. Better. Until they collapse. Um, until they collapse, yeah. Which isn't really that much of an improvement. If you're feeling exhausted or maybe hungry, you can do something about that. Or if necessary, you can push yourself. These guys, if they run out of juice, they run out of juice and collapse. Yeah. Interestingly, in that scene, despite them being possible bombs or enemy spies or who knows what, Hammond runs straight in to help Sam. 
he can't help himself, can he? No. <laughs> <laughs> Even though his his brain is probably telling him these things, they're not they're not my men, not my women. But when he sees one in trouble, he doesn't hesitate. He steps forward, which is the last thing you should do. The first thing everybody would do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if one of them yeah. makes a suspicious move, you step back. Yeah. You know, it's kind of his heart overruled his head and he just went straight in to help him with a helping hand. Which is why we love him. Yeah. Although some would say uh, it's a bit of a coincidence that they collapse straight after SG-5 is announced to be visiting the planet. Some would call <laughs> that suspicious. Yeah, that's a good point. I think that might be a play. Anyway, we're back at the complex. Yeah, they get booted through the Stargate by the looks of it. Teal has a very dramatic collapse onto the floor. I like the shot, though, overhead view of the gate. Yeah, it's nice. We get a lot of interesting angles that we don't really see later. They were playing around a lot with this. I wonder if they thought, look, we're going to have a CGI gate. Let's try to do something a little different. Yeah. I imagine that overhead shot, because you didn't see the event horizon as well, money saved there, and gave us something interesting to look at. Holland is very happy. Very happy. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and uh, as well, as soon as they get through the other side, they're sprightly again. Except Jack, who looks like he's got a hangover. But They really need some sort of uh, charging indicator. <laughs> Maybe, you know, yep. a shoulder pad or something that lights up with LEDs. Yeah, you'd think they'd have some sort of internal warning system. Maybe the original models did. Holland, for whatever reason, didn't supply these with that sort of technology. Well, possibly. He certainly this certainly seems like he rushed them. And he certainly doesn't want them to leave, so... Yeah. So Jack! Jack! Jack. Son of a bitch! <laughs> Jack takes Harlan by the scruff of the neck and pins him against the stargate. You're damaging me. Yes. <laughs> you can't be mad at Harlan. Even through Jack's, like, aggressive shouting and squeezing of the neck and everything, Harlan's still smiling. It's a damn shame, because, you know, as the story pans out and we learn everything about it, and you think, well... You've got to feel sorry for the guy. The idea of the last mm, life, I suppose, the last the last living... How do, you, how do you describe it? The last consciousness that existed on that planet, I guess. Yeah. yeah. All his memories yeah. and everything are the last ones that have survived. Yeah, whatever physical form he's, he takes made Harlan the man he was in the beginning is still there. Yeah. Been alone, finally gets some outside help. <laughs> but he's he's ever the optimist. That's the beauty of it. That's it, and he's been alone for 11,000 years, and all this has taken part, taken place so far in about just a few hours, so I guess this is a minor hiccup for him. Yeah. It doesn't take long for him to brush off Jack's anger, and he's got the better and the contrier, and, you know, everything's going. But then we get an audible warning come over some the tannoys. Basically why Harlan's got some extra help. He simply cannot keep this facility well-maintained. No, some sort of coolant leak and rushes off through a door that kind of looks like a redressed gate room and um <laughs> it says this is why he needs them and he'll be back and it won't be long but there's no way jack's sitting around waiting for him to come back no jack's never going to let somebody else decide his fate although i did like i did like the idea when jack was just fumbling around with stuff and he pulled that pipe out of the wall the end <laughs> came out and he go, uh, okay just it back in that's a classic richard dean anderson thing that he has to play with everything that's around yeah there was a, a point here where Sam says that um, it's clear that Harlan's jerry-rigging everything for years. And I was kind of upset that she didn't say he'd MacGyvering things for years. <laughs> but I thought maybe maybe it was a bit too forced and shoehorned in. <laughs> they didn't use it. You can have so many references in, in any one show. Yes. For an episode, Tin Man, that's pretty much on the nose. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a really good point. Another classic uh, Wizard of Oz reference. Yeah. We'll get a lot of those in the first few series. 
Tilk points out that if they were to leave, let Harlan do his thing, then they'd be condemning him and themselves. Yeah, very okay. pragmatic. What is done is done. Yeah. And off he goes. Yes. Again, in hindsight, Tilk isn't Tilk. <laughs> Something strange going on. And you're right, he is very much like he was in the, in the first episode or two. Definitely no sense of humour. Daniel seems quite pleased with the idea of being able to live for thousands of years and see history unfold in front of himself, I think. Yeah, there's not much history going on on this planet, though, is there? No. That's a problem. If he, if he actually could explore, fine. But you're going to be doing the next few thousand years just doing DIY. Yeah, not really living, just sort of surviving. Yep. So summon Daniel, go walk about, and then we uh, return to Tilk, who's standing alone in the corridor, looks like a panic attack of some sort, grips his head, virtually collapses, maybe it's a seizure. Yeah, very nasty looking seizure. Yeah, something is definitely wrong with the Tilk model. Yeah. Lovely bit of acting there from Chris Judge. Quite dramatic, but... Yeah. We return to Harlan. He's doing some of his maintenance, although it looks like he's just slapping a load of some sort of industrial <laughs> grease onto a pipe. He's, he's not welding, he's not... He's, he's just beasting the pipe. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's doing something. Slapping it on, he's got kind of a, a cover plate. The guy's probably been doing this, trying to get this job done by himself, and all he needed is that third hand. Yeah. Hold that for me while I hit it. <laughs> I know, I, I love the fact that he's, he's some 11,000-year-old advanced robotic copy of a human being, or an alien being, and he, in the middle of all this, just takes a, what looks like a huge spanner and just beats the hell out of a piece of metal. Yeah, he's happy. That'll work. Job he done. Is. You see? Yeah. We work together, things get done. I did wonder where they get the weird move from, because obviously it's all liquidy. You'd think that it would sort of dry out or be all used up after 11,000 years, and whereas a civilization that's living underground going to get materials to make those sorts of things interesting don't really know how big this complex is where we learn that it takes its power from geothermal vents it's probably got uh, automated mine shafts or something like that could have been a lot of cool things to explore there yeah eleven thousand year old civilization especially when you consider some of the things we see later that are maybe less old perhaps like in the disc world there's layer down in the strata treacle or something like that <laughs> Oh, I'd love that. He's just got like like a hole in the ground somewhere. He just siphons it out. Yeah. When our dinosaurs died, we, we didn't get oil. We got this goo. It's yeah. Fantastic industrial lubricant and sealant. <laughs> <laughs> Multifunctional. Gets all patched up, pipe work, and he's very happy again. Another bit of exposition where we learn that the biosphere, the planet, was failing. We can assume it wasn't through war. It was through environmental issues. It might have been an external factor comet strike or something like that either way life on the surface of the planet was coming to an end hubble designed this space it must have been at the time a huge endeavor housing hundreds of people he did say a thousand didn't he yeah i think so which is rather a small figure actually you think if you're trying to save the species or maybe at least preserve it in the hopes that maybe in a few hundred generations the surface will be habitable again you want more than a thousand people you wonder if perhaps the other survivors, maybe there were other people that decided to leave the planet and it was only the people that wanted to stay on the planet that went down into this complex. And then changed their minds after a few. Yeah. We learned that of those thousand people, you know, they died out over time. Those that were fully integrated into android bodies, even they grew weary of the repetitive maintenance schedules. Could understand that. What is the point of life if that's all you're doing? Yeah. 
it's not as if you can go to the seaside at the weekend or watch the latest movie or something, because you've seen every movie in the library many times. He said some people went through the Stargate with portable power packs. They never returned. Others just went to the surface and walked off into the distance. Yeah, that's a dark way to go. Yep. Harlan describes it, uh, 11,000 going on infinity. Yes. You can fully understand his psychological well-being at this point. It's amazing. He is as sane as he is. I know, it is incredible that he's that he survived. He does seem very angry that, that they left him. It's the only time you see him really upset, like properly upset about anything when he says that they left and ended their own existence. He'd known these people for a long, long time. Yeah. It may have been something that, if that's what you're going to do, you're not going to announce it to anybody, you're just going to do it. Maybe he took that as a betrayal, maybe it's just something he cannot do himself. Well, that's it. He's been left with, maybe he sees it as they left him all alone with the task of, of trying to maintain their civilization. Yeah. And he feels responsible and like he can't take the easy way out himself. It would have been a nice point if he says that we're doing all this because way down at the lowest levels, there's a complex where there are 10 million DNA samples. The system is automated. When the planet's surface is okay, they will be gestated. 20 years later, fully formed, intelligent living beings will be released. That would have been a very nice way to tie it into an episode that happens later. Yeah, give us something beyond just surviving to maintain this facility for themselves. Yeah. There's a reason that Harlan cannot give up. Would have been lovely. And you wouldn't have to show it. No. Sam could have said, what's on that level? And he could just say, the future. Job done. Yeah. And then we're waiting for the radiation to clear, repopulate their planet. Yeah. Eventually it will clear. All I want to do is keep this going. Maybe another 11,000 years. Yeah. That's why you're so important. That would have been brilliant. Jack, we're still going to sod it. I'm still going. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then we get another alarm. This time, it's the power source. Oh, dear. That's a bit That's a bit more dangerous. A bit more risky. Thermocapacitor. Yeah. We've really got to fix this. It's a pipe blockage. The corrosive atmosphere is rusting up the pipes, blocking them off. Cooling systems to the geothermal plant are being reduced. We need to open these vents. Now I've got computer control, so just go to the pipes, take the cover off, shove your hand in, open the vents. Yes. You're robots. You'll be fine. All the knowledge you need built in. You don't need to learn anything. When you need it, it'll be there. Off you go. And everybody looks at Jack and he goes, oh, God, okay. <laughs> yes. He quite obviously states, I'll stay here and operate the computer. Yeah. Well, I will supervise. No, you won't. That's my job. <laughs> uh, so off they go. Uh, we get the voiceover, the computer, going on about pressure at three Hubble units. <laughs> this Hubble guy, I think he had a bit of an ego. Yep. Yeah, I quite like that. Keeps going higher, five, six, seven, eight. Emergency, emergency. Daniel gets to one of the cover plates. He rips it off. Seems amazed by his own strength. We get a cracking scene of Jack standing on a balcony, staring over what looks like three or four levels, if I remember rightly, and jumps. <laughs> and then, for the first time, seems kind of impressed with the fact that he's better. Well, let's face it. I think, it, did he say he busted his leg once? Yeah. Comes in very handy if you can jump three stories down and land perfectly safe. Yeah possibilities there if he ever gets off the planet with his own power source intact yeah i'm surprised they haven't asked more questions yet about the portable power supplies that the people went off site with just the fact that they could be useful for the sgc if nothing else <laughs> holland probably say well they're not that good they'll only last two years at most yeah <laughs> okay they're just comparable <laughs> to a couple of duracells really and uh yeah they're trying to open up the vents and pressure's rising up to 10 hobbled units 
we get a lot of shaky camera action here, like a, like an old episode of Star Trek. Well, yeah, this this is this is rather tropey, isn't it? Really, you know, we've got kind of a time limit. You've got a, a physical action you've got to take part. You you can't get to the you've got to you know wrench plates off the wall. Uh, then you've got to turn handles that won't budge. So <laughs> even though you you know you don't realise how strong you are, you've got to kind of get over your own mindset. You can stick your hand in that corrosive environment and get access to a, a handle. You know, yeah. your brain is saying you can't do that. You know, you're only human. But well, you say that. But oh, sorry, you were just going to say that. Go on. Well, I say it's it's just something that Jack eventually does. He does it, and then Tilt makes him an appearance. Before that, when Sam and uh, Daniel are investigating their steam pipe thing, they need to clear. Daniel's got his arm in there, and he's rummaging around trying to find it. And when Jack walks up to his, he just shoves his whole head in the pipe. <laughs> <laughs> Gave me a good chuckle. It was a classic Jack moment. <laughs> Daniel, mind the hair. Yes, that's true. Yeah. So, uh, Tilk. Notice the music as well. Gold music. Oh, yeah. Jafar music. Oh, you're right. That was a red flag. Yeah, at this point, it's pretty much saying, you know, Tilk, Tilk is very defective. Yeah. And uh, he, he starts beating up on Jack. <laughs> Big time. Yes, and he has got his angry face on. He's really going to really gonna make Jack pay. Especially when it comes to uh, eventing steam pipe. Yes. <laughs> there, you, there you are, back to the troop. <laughs> There's always steam in these pipes. Carbon dioxide, but even that, I'm not sure I'd want to put my face right against. I wondered the same thing. There's a lot of it in his face. He does push it up against his cheek and stuff a lot, but his whole face is in there. Maybe it's just water vapour or something. Maybe with some sort of material in it, so it's more obvious to the camera. Yeah. Either way, it's a very nice effect. You know, Jack's face grimacing as she gets seals the pipe. (laughs) Yes. Again, the weird colour scheme makes everything look a lot more alien. And then Tilt picks up a piece of pipe, goes to Brain Jack, and a couple of uh, weapons fire, and Tilk is vaporised. Yes, he disappears into nothing. That's a good weapon. It really is. Bloody good weapon. That's a three-shot Zat Nicotel. <laughs> yep, and we see Tilt's body vanishes Holland in the background. Not happy. He's uh, had to kill one of his own. Obviously, he had to do something. Yeah, and Sam and Jack have caught up and have uh, seemed pretty upset that Harlan's killed Tilk. Yeah, Jack, oh, I'm all right. Uh, no, you're not. <laughs> yeah, we get a lovely little effect here of uh, some sort of prosthetic attached to uh, Jack's face, but it's got a sort of electrical strobing effect, almost like the the thing at the beginning as well, sort of rolling over his face. Yeah, it's a pity that it's obviously something stuck to his cheek, as opposed to having his cheek eaten away by the either red-hot or corrosive material being blown onto it. Yeah. Yeah, it does look a bit sort of on top of his face, doesn't it? I mean, what, just imagine what you could do now with modern CGI or even yeah. nice high-budget prosthetic work. Uh, that would have been a really cool effect. Even by, like, season six, they'd have they'd have had something far superior to that. So Sam and Jack run off to find Harlan, and um, he's behind some sort of door that, again, looks like the redress gate room, some massive industrial blast door type thing. Yeah, it doesn't really slow him down much. No, they just sort of throw it up, showing uh, their superior strength. And we see Hyuk in a weird sort of caged bed thing that Harlan is pottering around near. Suddenly looks very, very concerned. Yes. It's almost as if he's been found out. Yes. (laughs) Oops. Yes, the man behind the curtain, as it were. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is where he reveals that, you know, the tilt unit malfunctioned. Uh, he didn't realise that there were two minds, two consciousnesses in the body. 
that was kind of the point. The symbiote aspect of uh, Tilk's dual personality, merged personality, kind of took dominance. Yeah, which is quite an interesting prospect. I quite like that little aspect of the storyline. I thought that was quite clever. If you think about it, it does make a lot of sense, because while the symbiote is a physical creature, its influence on the host's brain is always going to be there. Even, yeah. even a Jafar, in a small way, nothing compared to a full you know, blending for a Gawold. But there's going to be at least some aspect of it where it influences the Jafar as well. Yeah. And that became dominant. Harlan, at this point, is having another go. Yes. <laughs> Why not? Um, he, d- he knows what he did wrong. And Sam makes a really good point here. She's like, hang on. How are you able to make a new <laughs> version of Teal'c if you don't have access to the original? <laughs> yes. Jack turns up, and I think Jack's worked it all out. Yeah, Jack can vent a little bit now. Yeah. He's not a happy chap at all, which is perfectly reasonable. It's one thing to get your face burnt off. It's another thing to find out you have been lied to, even if it was the best of intentions. Yeah. And to be fair to Harlan, you know, he says, oh, but look, we're going to make copies, and then we're going to send the originals back. You wouldn't know anything different. You'd be happy with your lot. Everybody would be happy. Unfortunately, it didn't quite go according to plan. <laughs> no. But this is where, you know, realise that they can't go back in yet. They can never go back. They are kind of really stuck here. Yeah, well, at the moment, they know that their original bodies must exist somewhere still and ask for the process to be reversed and for their consciousness to be put back in those bodies. And he explains that that's impossible. Yeah. Yeah, they're copies. They're not, they haven't been moved. They've been duplicated. Yeah, that's it. They are as they are now. Yeah. They either accept what's happened to them or... I suppose, well, you can disintegrate yourself if you really want to. Oh, you can help me run this place. Yeah. It was funny, the reference to the mole on Sam's uh, wherever. <laughs> did it I mean, really have to be Sam's anatomy? We know why they did it. Why it says, because that's what you do. It's always going to be the woman's. It's more embarrassing. It's titillating. Yeah. Cheap shot. <laughs> yeah. They're doing some interesting work here, reducing the amount of rotoscoping they had to do the various people walk around this table where they find the, the the original bodies each person that investigates is usually not the person that they're looking at the body for <laughs> not the same body so um there's only a couple of instances where they need to duplicate someone on screen i think one point jack's double was dan shay oh really yeah Tyler. interesting about the beds here is that their original bodies seem to be completely conscious and aware of what's happening yeah worrying isn't it i mean that how are they being fed? Have they got intravenous food and waste disposal? Is it some sort of highly advanced system, which I don't know? Yeah, it's kind of dark because, like, they've got gags on effectively and they're, they're clearly not able to move, but they're fully aware of what's happening. Why have they got Velcro on the mouths? Yeah. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't understand that at all. Well, that's that makes it even darker, like, the fact that they can't move and they can't speak, but they know what's happening. Like, if they weren't on their mouths, would they be screaming for help? Yeah. It's very strange. It'd have made more sense if they'd been unconscious. Yeah. It made more sense if they were in some sort of cocoon. Like a stasis field or, yeah. or anything. Yeah. With a gauzy surface, so you couldn't even see them. So you wouldn't really go to the trouble of getting doubles. That one's Tilt. That one's Jack. <laughs> That's the female. <laughs> yeah. The moppy-haired one must be Daniel. Yeah, so Jack peels the Velcro off of his double. You have a little shot around of each of the beds and... Somber music comes in and you realise that uh, Harlan says, oh, he meant no harm, but you realise this is unacceptable. Also where we get what would be considered normal lighting. Yeah, that's true. There is this white light shining from somewhere. 
what they're saying is more important than the effect that we can actually create. Yeah. I mean, obviously, SG-1, you know, they need to be brought up to speed as well. Yeah, it's happening now because they're all conscious. Yeah. And she always does, and she always will. Loves talking to herself because she can understand herself. <laughs> <laughs> I do love an episode where we get multiple Sams. It's always excellent. Yeah. The little bit where when Harlan sat next to Tilk. Oh, Tilk, why is it only me? Why is it only me? <laughs> I mean, at this point, I guess Harlan doesn't know what's going on, what's going to happen. No. He can, he can hope for the best, obviously. He doesn't obviously understand security implications either. Jack leaves the room, heads back to the lab, has a look at the uh, tilt copy that's being constructed. SG-1 Jack joins him. Very nice heart-to-heart between the two men. As they point out, you know, uh, what would you do, what would I do? Uh, I'm you, I know what you're going to do, you should do. <laughs> Not going to be the first time these two have intimate chat between each other. No, it is very nice. It's really nice dialogue. What did it say? Ultimately, uh, don't send a bomb. I love that so much. (laughs) I wasn't going to. Yes, you were. I know what you were thinking. (laughs) You've got to pretty much accept what it is or you'd go nuts. Yeah. If this was Black Mirror, you could see SG-1 Jack just putting a bullet into Jack. Yeah, superseding him as as if it were. It'd be something a lot darker that this is SG-1, so you're not going to get that. You're just going to get a few, oh, for crying out loud, (laughs) things like that. His favourite catchphrase. It's good. It's really nice. Quite strange, though, because this is all happening in front of Teal'c's naked body. <laughs> I hope he's got a pair of shorts on. I'm, I'm assuming he does. He's covered in some sort of weird goo. Like the aliens you get in those little eggs. <laughs> uh, we go back to Complex. We're back to the uh, lighting effects. Stargate is in the background. Jack is talking to Harlan. Harlan is a lot more cheerful because things are looking up a little bit. Not perfect, but looking up. Come to realise that the SG-1 copies are going to be staying. They're going to give it a few hundred years, see how it turns out. (laughs) (laughs) Just a weird phrase. Yeah. We get a group shot of all eight people, all in seven members of SG-1 in various versions. (laughs) The gate looks awful. Yeah, it does. It looks very, very, very much like it's not remotely in that actual lighting area. Um, I did notice... The, we get a few close-ups here where the copies are saying goodbye to SG-1. And the camera angle changes between looking at the clones and looking at the looking at the original SG-1. And every time it looks at the clones, they are lit blue and they've got the sort of a pasty colour to them. And every time it looks at SG-1, they're lit nice and or- like with this tiny orange tint. and Normal flesh tones. Yeah. Just like you pointed out just now, it's like I think that is really good. And that is definitely Dan Shea. <laughs> yeah. From, from the back, from that angle, you can tell... Go on, yeah. Yeah, the back of his head. The neck is slightly bigger and slightly smoother and more muscular. That's amazing. I would not have thought of that if had you not said it, but yeah, I could totally spot that now. This is probably one of the easier doubling jobs that Dan Jay did for RDA. Yes. Didn't really get thrown off anything, didn't have... <laughs> Didn't get electrocuted. Apart from the light, the fight scene, but compared to some, was uh, pretty much nothing. We get a lovely little closing Stargate jingle, and, and that's it. Yeah. Done. <laughs> this is a bit awkward. Well, well, have a good life. Yeah. <laughs> Bye-bye. In fact, the first credit that goes up after the executive producers is O'Neill alternate Dan Shea. That's unusual. You, you know, a double wouldn't normally get a credit. No. I it, wonder why that. Immediately after executive producers, and then after that it goes to the normal things like story consultant and casting and all that stuff. Yeah, because Dan Shea was the stunt coordinator for SG-1. RDA's double 
pretty much the whole whole series. I wonder if union wise he had to get credit because he had so much time on camera. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, that would make sense because their their names roll at the beginning. So, right, that was Tin Man. That was a more enjoyable episode than we probably described it. Yeah. There is a lot of time where it's just talking, talking, talking. A lot of it, you're repeating the same thing over and over. But it actually is rather enjoyable. It does go a lot faster when you're watching it. It does. It's a cracking episode. And Comtria always sticks in your head. Ah, yes, it will. Holden was a great character. He was. And consistent is a sort of personality is consistent throughout the whole episode. When there's moments where you can... You can understand how he's feeling. His, it's played really well. Also, it must have been a very low-budget episode, given that you say they're using a reusing a power station, and there's probably about seven main cast members in this, and then a few extras for the guards, and that's all you see throughout the whole episode. Shows what you can do if you still spend your money wisely. Yeah. It's obvious that they, they skimped on the CGI. A couple of instances, the gate looked awful. Other times, because they shot it from a different angle, it worked. Yeah. The shot from above looking down was fantastic. The rotoscoping was a bit questionable. There was one scene where the Sams were talking to each other, and whichever version <laughs> was shot afterwards or before, I don't know, one of them was really blurry and lo- almost looked like they'd been stretched or skewed a little bit. And the other Sam was crystal sharp, like perfectly sharp. <laughs> And they were standing side by side, so it looked very odd. Go forward a few years uh, when Atlantis has the copies of the main team. That's when the technology was really there to go to town. I mean, Battlestar, with their multiple replicas of the same character, they kind of led the way. Yeah, that is is, um, the pinnacle of of doing that, I think. It's, It's incredible. But even then, even in SG-1, later on there's an episode with with a certain mirror that appears. And... um, (laughs) That stands up pretty well, I think, at least from memory. That's almost like, uh, which Sam do you look at first? Yeah, there's so many of them. And they're always in the same room. And like the other characters all want to, you know, go their own ways and have private time or whatever. But Sam's always there working, trying to solve problems. So, excellent. Okay then, folks, that was Tin Man. Thank you very much for joining me, Ian. Glad you enjoyed the episode. My pleasure. Yeah, another cracking episode. I'm really enjoying uh, re-watching season one. Despite my occasional complaints about bits of CGI here and maybe slightly flunky storyline here or there, it's uh, it's very enjoyable. It's nice to see the uh, the old cast and remember it was like to watch it back in sort of 97, I think it was, or 98. And uh, yeah, good. I enjoyed that. There's a lot of people that can't understand. How can you criticise a show that you claim to love? Yeah. Yeah, we do love the show but and we can see its flaws because every show does have flaws. It's what makes it enjoyable as well. Yeah. And some we can laugh at, some we can cringe at, but that's just all part of why we like it. Exactly. And at the end of the day, it's the storyline and the character development that carries you through the whole series. Occasional props being a bit questionable is fine to have a complaint about. In a few years, we'll look at that and say, oh, that's fantastic CGI. We'll look at some of Stargate and it holds up right now. Yeah. In fact, there are, there are big budget movies that do not match some of the CGI of later Stargate. Yeah. Oh, they they did incredible jobs, especially with all the the sort of series 9, 10 stuff. That is definitely comparable to some big budget movies. Next time we are going to be watching There for the Grace of God. Coming up on the end of season one where some mighty important things happen. Oh, let's leave that until we actually discuss it, shall we? (laughs) Oh, you teaser, (laughs) you. Come on, everybody knows what's coming. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we do. 
If you want to get in touch with us, if you want to be on the show, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is stargatearchives at gmail.com. Our website stargatearchives.com. We are on Facebook and Google+. You'll find us most of the time, though, on Twitter, at TheGateCast. Always very busy on there. Granted, I may not answer you if I'm at work, because I don't have Twitter access when I'm at work, but I make up for it at other times. You run an excellent Twitter account. It's too big to ignore now. <laughs> <laughs> I look at 3,700-odd people followers. Good God. <laughs> Keep putting links on, retweeting stuff. Keep it interesting. Yeah. Fortunately, if you're a fan of Stargate Podcasts, there's a huge range to listen to now. I mean, I'm, I'm listening to Seventh Chevron, Get Into Gate, Stargate Weekly, Atlanticast. There's a few others that I've listened to in the last year that may have gone quiet. They may have died a death, but who knows, they may return. Never been a better time, if you like, Stargate and podcasts. Yeah, and who knows, we might end up with another series at some point. Eventually, if they actually do get around to releasing that Stargate Origins feature, we'll do a show on it. But I, I couldn't bring myself to do weekly shows on the 10-minute episodes. I've still not seen any of the Stargate Origins thing. I actually need to go and find that. Well, they've promised they're going to edit it all together into a TV movie. Oh, cool. Into a movie-length feature. A few tweaks to the plot and then re-release it. Then we'll do a show on it. An update as of the uh, 23rd of June. The theatrical... Theatrical? The feature release of Stargate Origins Catherine is now available on iTunes and Amazon for $20 or the equivalent in your local currency. If you are a subscriber to Stargate Command, you get it for free, which is only reasonable after all. I saw the huge Twitter storm that happened not long ago for uh, encouraging MGM to pick up Stargate again. Yeah. Or a, a thing the other day that was saying about um, the various parts that aligned negatively to cause MGM to drop Stargate when they did, and that uh, they're in a much better place now, and that it's one of their biggest franchises, so more than likely they'll pick it up again, whether it's a complete reboot or continuing the universe somehow. It would be nice if they didn't leave it all behind. You've got to assume that someone like, even if MGM didn't want, I don't think MGM would be interested in going it alone. They'd want a partner. Yeah. I'm not sure I want to see sci-fi or a network take Stargate on. And redo, rebutcher it like they did before. I think network TV, under the demands of advertisers and the 41-minute, 39, 41-minute time slot, I don't want to see Stargate go down that route again. Yeah, I'm looking at the stuff that Amazon produced at Netflix and thinking, that's what Stargate deserves. Oh, that would be so good. And as you say, the franchise is healthy and it's huge. Yeah. You've got to imagine that one of the major streaming services looks at that and say, we could work something like this. It's a big thing. It's got a lot of, it has, it's got a lot of history behind it. It's got a lot of fans and it's got a lot of potential still. We'll see. Yeah. Keep our fingers crossed. Maybe something will come of it. Maybe nothing. Who knows? But we've still got SG1, Atlantis and the Universe and Origins and Infinity. <laughs> Just going to say Infinity. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay, Ian, thank you very much for joining me. You want to give us uh, your contact information? My pleasure. Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, I'm on Twitter all the time. I'm uh, Mr. Nebby, N-E-B-B-I. If you'd like to drop me a message and say hi, I'd be more than happy to uh, ping you a tweet back. Not as active on Twitter as I used to be, but I don't really know why, to be honest. <laughs> Maybe uh, get back on that. But um, yeah, Mr. Nebby, say hi and talk about Stargate. So, yeah. Excellent. Join us next time for There But For The Grace Of God. But until then, I've been Mike. And I've been Ian. Take care. Bye-bye. Come try ya!